Hello, my lovers, my puppies, my kittens, my schmoopies. It's been a minute, hasn't it? I'll tell you why. Uh, folks are tired. Yep, election fatigue. As you know, we explore non-normative lifestyle and culture or just anything that's interesting and elevated and different from the norm. Well, I was having trouble finding guests who were willing to chat at this time. And who can blame them? We're all a little bit, shall we say, fatigued, election fatigued. And while we're on the subject, uh, at this point in our history, results are in they are what they are. And whether you're listening to this podcast or this particular episode right now, say November 2020, or you are a year from now, 2021, catching up, you're hearing this. This is actually a little bit of uh, archival history. The fact is there's a lot of uncertainty right now as to how we are going to become uh, what we will become to each other as humans, first and foremost as um, people from a country, citizens of the United States, (laughs) citizens of the world, the world is watching us. Uh, Some are in awe, others are flabbergasted and in shock. My sincere hope for you, my dear, dear, dear loving listener, my schmoopy, is that wherever you are at this time, may you be an instrument of peace. Where there is darkness, shed some light. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Because if you're like me, you've probably found yourself feeling that you can't make sense of what's happening. The one moment everything seems normal, then suddenly your, 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 your views shift to world events, the pandemic, political upheaval, COVID, economic uncertainty. Oh yeah, I get it. Pandemic, COVID. I mean, I just don't know what to call this thing anymore. Oh, are we tired yet? Are we tired yet? You might find yourself referring to uh, your state as anxious a lot. (laughs) You're experiencing a kind of anxiety that comes from being unable to settle into a single point of view. Uh, And But do you believe that there is a name for that wobbly feeling? Oh yeah, there is. It's the title of this episode. It's Sosobra. What the fuckery is Sosobra? Or is it Sosobra? Well, we're about to find out. I'm Nadej August, 
If this is your first time, welcome, bienvenue, bienvenidos, welcome in. I don't know any other languages to say it in, but either way, you are all around the world listening. Send me some um, ways to say welcome. If this is your first time, welcome, and here's what you can expect. Oh yeah, hit that subscribe button. You will be an automatic schmoopy. Leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Ding dong. Ding, ding, ding. What the Fockery is a podcast about the things we hear about but don't know enough about. A series of conversations dedicated to hearing firsthand from the very people whose lifestyle, truths, or concepts we struggle with understanding. The very things we should know about but are afraid to discuss. Our subjects and topics may or may not be mainstream, but our guests and sometimes experts are in it, living their truth whether we accept them or not. And if in that process we manage to bring clarity to you, dear listener, dear schmoopy lover, kitten and puppy, then thank you for being curious, open, and willing. In that vein today, my guest is well, I should say our guest, is Dr. Carlos Sanchez. Dr. Sanchez is a professor of philosophy at San Jose State University. Uh, I'm going to take a wild guess and say that is in San Jose, California, in case you were wondering. He is, his scholarly interests revolve around the history of Mexican philosophy and culture. He has written dozens of articles and five books on the subjects, including The Suspension of Seriousness, Contingency and Commitment, A Sense of Brutality, Philosophy of Narcoculture, that's just one title, and I delve into that a little bit because it really, I found fascinating. So although we're talking about Sosobra, you will be hearing about this particular title, which I, let me tell you something. I've learned a lot, and I may have our professor, our friend, our new friend on again to discuss the difference between brutality and cruelty. Apparently, there's a huge difference, and uh, you'll get a sneak peek of this. So you, you come for a sosobra, and you end up learning about uh, narco culture <laughs> a little bit, shall we say. Uh, his other book is The uh, Disintegration of Commitment, which he co-wrote with uh, Francisco Gallegos. And uh, Dr. Sanchez is also the co-editor of Mexican Philosophy, the 20th century. Uh, and as always, listeners, links to always to reach us will be available. This title, this concept of the Sosobra, I found because I read an article and um, Dr. Sanchez's article got picked up and it's all over the world now. I mean, he's being interviewed left and right about it. I will put a link uh, for that article. I found it on The Futurist. So go on the show notes. Oh, also, hey, Patreon supporters, and you might want to consider becoming a Patreon supporter as well because there's a lot of super cool um, content that is available to the supporters of What the Fockery. Uh, share, like, subscribe, the whole bit. And without further ado, let's get this party started in hell. Well, so Dr. Carlos Sanchez, you have described yourself as being a Mihiwaka Michoacano-Americano. Michoacano-Americano. 
Americano. I love that. Uh, but you are a professor of philosophy and a doctor, I guess a PhD, right? That's right. And so here's the, here's, here's the question. Uh, how do you like to be addressed? Doctor or professor? Uh, I like uh, Carlos is good. <laughs> I'm not hung up on the title, you know, that for students and calling professor, I, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No. So do you, don't you find that, because at some point in my life, believe it or not, I was a professor too. Mm -hmm. And um, it was interesting because I found that based on how you, their student addressed you, it established a level of, uh, of um, authority or, or respect. Like if they understood that I'm not your friend per se, mm -hmm. there is something there. So I kind of insisted on being called Professor August. You know, mm -hmm. um, so you're yeah, I mean, on that. For, for me, it, a long time ago when I took uh, one of my first college courses, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm a Hispanic, so I, I didn't see a lot of professors that kind of looked like me. Mm -hmm. uh, but there was one, one professor uh, that was, uh, showed up the first day of class, and it was my first class, I think, my first semester. And he put his name on the, on the board and said, Dr. Jose Carrasco. And he says, Don't, I'm not S.A., I'm not Mr., I'm not Jose, I'm not Mr. Carrasco, I'm Dr. Carrasco. And, uh, and that really impacted me because I thought, okay, he's asking for our respect. And, really? uh, and, and so, yeah, for the first couple of years, first few years of my own professional career, I insisted on it. But now, after a while, I'm just, I'm okay with so teaching via Zoom, though, is that how you're teaching all of your classes this semester? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess at this point, you're just Carlos, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, whatever's on the screen. <laughs> well, that works. So I'm so uh, grateful that you are here to uh, help us Americans understand this little thing called Zozo Bras, but you said it's pronounced Sosobra. Sosobra. Yeah. Sosobra. Sosobra. Anxiety. I feel like I'm on a ship. Oh, my gosh. What's happening? What the fuckery is sosobra? <laughs> well, sosobra is a is a word that um, means many things, but it's uh, it comes from the Latin, right? And the Latin uh, word is uh, sub, like under, and supra, which over, right? So it's it's the feeling of feeling under over um, constantly, right? And uh, and it's usually uh, illustrated by a boat. Right, a boat that's like caught up in a in a uh, in a storm, right? It goes up and down, up and down, and but it's always it, it seems like it's about to capsize. Uh, so the the word the way that they use the word to describe like this existential anxiety is to say that it's that feeling of uh, that that sense of feeling like uh, you're about to go under, the feeling that you have no ground, that you're about to capsize and drown. So let's talk about this article. I found you because I read the article. I read it on The Futurist. But you, you told me an awesome story about how this concept somehow made it to mainstream media. And you were recently on ABC News about it in Australia, of our places. Tell mm, us yeah. the journey of this article where you and a colleague, I believe you co-wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. This yes. So, so basically... Um, I specialize in Mexican philosophy, 
Uh, I've written some books about uh, the history of Mexican philosophy. And uh, this is one of the concepts that appears there. Uh, my colleague from Wake Forest University, Francisco Gallegos, approached me about writing a, uh, writing a piece together for the conversation. Um, and so what given the, the conversation, it's, a, it's an online journal, I believe, online magazine um, of news and current events and stuff like that. Um, and given the, the current situation, what was happening, we, we wrote it before the election. Um, so we were hoping to get it published right before, like the day before the election to, you know, just kind of teach people about this concept that means like we don't know what's about to happen. Right. Um, and so, uh, he approached me, we wrote it, uh, it got published in the conversation the Monday before the election. Uh, and soon enough, it, it caught on, uh, people, I think, uh, we're realizing that, yeah, this word actually describes what we're actually going through right now. Uh, and so the, the piece got picked up, you know, the futurist, I suppose, uh, the Denver Post picked it up. Uh, the Boston Globe is going to run the piece again on Sunday. Uh, and then I got a call from, um, from ABC News Radio in, in Australia, in Sydney, wanting to do an interview about this concept. And uh, that was really... Uh, uh, Interesting because I thought, okay, well, it's this. No, it's not just us that are feeling this. So sobra, right? It's it's a international. Even in Australia, even in, and down down under, right? <laughs> proving proving the impact that this country has in on the world in the world. You know, right. we we take it for granted, but you know, everyone's watching America right now. That is the United States specifically. Um, you know, for years. We are the example. What would what would the U.S. do? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, sir. So it, it's <laughs> is it a, it's an anxiety that uh, the medical profession, at least in your country or Spanish speaking countries, they've embraced as a legit anxiety. No, no, it's not. Uh, it's it's <laughs> more it's it's more than a psychological anxiety. It's is that kind of anxiety that. Uh, we just feel without having a reason to feel it, uh, right? So it's, uh, according to the philosophers that talk about this, um, it's a form of existence, right? It's the, the way that you are in the world, the way, you're, the way that you're thrown into the world, right? Um, you didn't ask to be thrown into this existence. You are kind of thrown in here, and here you are, you have to deal with it. Um, and so there's this anxiety about life itself. Mm. Um, and so that, that, that anxiety uh, in, in Mexico, it, it gained traction because Mexican history itself is, is very uh, unpredictable and uncertain. Like uh, the, the history of Mexico is 500 years of colonialism, revolutions, wars, you know, insecurity. So there's a sense in which the Mexican people always feel this anxiety more pronounced in a more pronounced way than people like in the United States or more industrialized countries. Not anymore. So, uh, not anymore. Not, not, not this last two weeks, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, it's, it's funny because I was talking to someone earlier, a, a lovely lady that I was talking to for the first time, and uh, she was inquiring about something. And uh, she said to me, well, it's just that I don't know what it is. Everything's fine. My house is paid for. My car is paid for. And I'm about to retire soon. But I have this sense of impending doom. Mm -hmm. And I just don't know what it is, what that's about. And I thought, how apropos. I'm going to have a conversation about it. And you can listen to the podcast and see if there's anything that helps you. But she was describing in a way what you're saying. So she mm -hmm. just has a feeling that something can happen any minute that is going to just topple her whole existence over. That's right. That's right. And it, and it has no object, right? It's uh, you feel like uh, that the way that it's felt, you feel like you have these options, but to have life of existence, but none of them work. Um, and it's just this teeter-tottering between different decisions that you don't know that you have to make, but they're there. Uh, so, so is this it's uncertainty and it's fear and it's uh, just living in a house made of sand. You know, you never know when it's going to slip into the water kind of thing. So it's, so, it's true. Yeah. So it's a feeling that would you say you grew up feeling and you're familiar with it? It's now a friend? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, uh, my parents were immigrant farm workers. They were in illegal, quote unquote, right? Uh, so there was always a sense of impending catastrophe, right? This idea that any moment now, um, the immigration is going to come and take my parents, mm. or I'm going to I'm going to come home from school and there's not going to be anyone there. Uh, there's not going to be any food tomorrow, kind of thing, you know. So it's it's a, it's something that you live with. Um, I don't think that you ever get used to it. You just live with it. You know, and uh, don't complain about it <laughs> right. because complaining doesn't really help. Right? So you kind of just exist with it. It's how are you? How are you with it now as an adult? Because as you're telling your story, I'm, I'm about to to well up in tears because it's it's not a great feeling living with insecurity. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I have my family is from Haiti, so we are, we too are familiar with that plight of the immigrants, mm -hmm. right? We understand a lot. We empathize a lot when we hear similar stories. And by the way, hello, their son is a doctor, a philosopher. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, that there is the American dream, you people. Absolutely, who absolutely. Who destroy it and who won't let it happen. Um, so that we're, we're going to stay away from politics for a second, or at least for Please, the yeah. name of our time. We can't. We don't need this. But no. let's go into the psychology a little bit in terms of what you just shared about your background and this feeling that you're so familiar with. As an adult, how do you cope with this? Is it something that goes away or how has it impacted you as an adult? Um, in many different ways. I mean, it, it comes up in, in, in the different ways that I navigate my own profession, my personal life. Uh, it's um, it, it it shows up as a um, as as that feeling that you don't really belong anywhere, um, and and I don't know. I, I think for me, it's 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 emerged in ways of you know, few the imposter syndrome is familiar to some folks, right? And for me, it's it's always felt that I don't deserve what I have and I don't belong where I am. Wow. Uh, because of that, because this idea that, okay, well, it is just the rug is going to be taken right out under my feet, you know? So uh, I, I, I'm supposing that that's a way that that this, so sobra kind of 
manifests itself in my own life. Um, and but it's not really a psych. It's not and not it's not necessarily like a psychological thing to the point where I'm always obsessing over it. Uh, but it is there as a feeling, right? It's, it's there as a as an intuition of something. Yeah. I imagine as a human, you go through life being a little bit more empathetic than most, right? I try to be, yeah, but for that same reason, right? Yeah. Uh, for, for for the reason that I feel, and and that's one of the things that. And, and within the Mexican philosophical literature, uh, Uranga, who you read about in the, in the piece, uh, he says that Sosobra connects us, right? Uh, it's a way to identify other human beings who are in a similar plight, right? So you feel this, uh, this Sosobra and then you can read somebody else's Sosobra in them and then form communities of yeah. acceptance and love you know. yeah somehow you connect it ends up being the positive aspect of this whole thing right because you can build community around this perceived uh negative right this absolutely flaw. yeah um and this is wonderful because this leads us right into ways that you know and your article does suggest a few but it's always most people we don't like to read anymore <laughs> we like to listen <laughs> right sometimes. right um i don't put any cool beats underneath any of this so my listeners tend to be a little bit higher up there in the way of how they get information and like to process it. So let's feel good about that. And also uh, share ways that anyone and most of us, I imagine, are feeling this sosobra. How can we uh, manage it? Well, you know, I, I don't really uh, have any concrete uh, recipe for this but one one thing that i do know is that if um that the the, the best way to manage the sosobra is to face it right to accept the fact that it's there to, to accept the fact that the insecurity is there that it's always been there and that it will continue to be there i think that once you really kind of focus your eyes on that um you'll see that you as an individual transcends it right you you you're able to go through it um, and have been going through it your entire life. But I, I think that a lot of the times when, when we are caught up in a, in a moment of psychological or existential anxiety, we think that we've never been there before, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it feels like this is the first time that I've ever been this, you know, messed up. Um, but in, in reality, in your entire life, you have been going through those kinds of phases. And I think that if we recognize that, then like the moment of Sosobra that we're living through right now is going to be lived through, right? We're going to go through it uh, just like we've been going through other moments as well. So I, so I, I guess the, the, my short answer to all of that is to say, uh, just recognize it right, and accept it as part of your own human existence. And that, that should be the first, very first and important step. Hey listeners, the term self-care is thrown around a lot these days, and deservedly so. And I think we can all agree that mental health is part of self-care. And one of the many reasons we tell ourselves is lack of time and money. Well, BetterHelp.com is the world's largest counseling service. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. Now, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed, accredited, and board-certified therapist in under 24 hours. 
therapy from the comfort of your own space. What could be better than that? You can schedule weekly video sessions or phone sessions with your own personal counselor. You can log into your account at any time from anywhere to send a message to your counselor. And BetterHelp makes it easy and free to change your counselor if you ever needed to. Um, it's very affordable. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And financial aid is available. So get started today. And you, as a What the Fockery listener, get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash fockery10. Again, that's betterhelp. H-E-L-P dot com forward slash Fockery 10. In fact, use Fockery 10 as a promo code and discount code anytime and anywhere you um, use our sponsors. Okay, back to our program. I believe the philosopher, the one we mentioned, uh, Emilio Uranga, uh, in the concept of how it can actually build community, I imagine that's actually something one can do also is reach out and talk to mm -hmm. others who, and we'd be surprised at people who seem to have their poop together, how they really are like underneath all of it. There's that sinking feeling of that ship, right? Mm -hmm. You're not sure where it's going, you know? It can topple over any minute now, but it's definitely not stable. It's on rocky waters, and that's what we all are, are experiencing. You mentioned, there was a mention of another philosopher whose name escapes me. I uh, don't Jorge, Jorge Portilla. Yes. What did Portilla have to say about the, uh, this concept? Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's the same. It's the same deal for, for these guys, right? It's, uh, it's a sense of uncertainty, uh, the sense that um, uh, this anxiety that doesn't really have an object. Uh, for, for both of these thinkers, I think uh, the, the solution is always going to be authentic community, right? Building these community relations, like you were saying right now. Uh, based on love and understanding, um, and and the reason why we want we wanted to uh, mention Portilla and Uranga in that piece is because we want to expose uh, this kind of this literature that doesn't is not familiar yeah. to people, right? Unless you major in in Latin American history and Mexico, and a professor happens to mention these these fellows. Yeah. We're never going to hear about them. We won't. Exactly. Just a lot of study, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you've written five books. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've written a number of them. Um, I believe it's five. It might be more. Uh, but but it's you know they're all around this the same issue, right. the same area. Yeah. Well, you know, one title really captured my attention here is uh, A Sense of Brutality, Philosophy After Narco Culture. This, has this book been published yet? It says 20. Yes, yes. It was published by Amherst College Press uh, in August. It's, um, yeah, any, anyone can go into the Amherst College Press website uh, and uh, download it for free. It's open access. Uh, so anybody can go in there and read it. And basically this, this, this book is about, uh, it's a reflection on contemporary violence uh, in Mexico and especially the violence of the narco world, right? Which wow. I, I think that it's, uh, the reason why I wrote it is because I was really concerned about this idea that the, that the concept of violence uh, didn't really capture the reality of what was going on, right? Uh, when you have decapitations and 
gruesome murders, acts of cannibalism, uh, you know, the disintegration of bodies, all these different things. I, I thought that that merited a different concept. So I introduced the concept of brutality, right, as, as one that instead of calling it narco-violence or, <clears throat> you know, criminal violence, it's brutality, and that should give us more to work with, is, is what I'm claiming. <laughs> Right, right. So, but did you did you have to go to Mexico and f- spend time with the narcs? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I did go to Mexico. Uh, I went to Sinaloa, to Culiacan. I went a couple of times, uh, three times, I believe, and uh, and spent time with some folks <laughs> who were uh, brutal. Uh, well, I mean, they they're very nice people. They were nice to me, you know, and uh, and forever grateful. To but were they were they comfortable with sharing why they do what they do? Uh, the the ones that I spoke to were very comfortable with sharing it, uh, but it's not like a there. There's no there's no sense of of uh, of gloating about it, right? Uh, it's it's more uh, if you ask them about the things that they do, it's part of their job description. Uh, it's something that they just do. Uh, so the reason why I wanted to, and, and I, I, it's philo, it's a philosophical investigation, right? So, and uh, one of the things that I do is that I talk about the nature of the way brutality works. Uh, brutality, for example. So let me let me give you a definition here. Um, brutality. In my next question. Yeah. Yeah. So so for example, uh, there's a difference between cruelty and brutality. Right? Oh. Uh, brutality is when or I'm sorry, cruelty is when you hurt somebody and take some sort of pleasure in it, right? So you're, you're being cruel to that person. You're being cruel to that animal, right? You take pleasure in that violence that you inflict. Brutality, on the other hand, requires that you first, before you even touch the person, you turn them into an object, right? You objectify them first. And then once you're beating the crap out of them, you're no longer beating the crap out of a person. You're beating the crap out of an object. And therefore, you're not really conducting any sort of violence towards them. And so brutality hides, right? So, so if you think about police brutality and uh, George Floyd and all these other cases, the idea behind, you know, if we follow this concept down, the idea here is that the, 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 the police, in order to inflict violence towards a black body they have to first objectify it in a certain way in order to be able to do those things to them right uh and so brutality has this logic of it that it it likes to hide it sounds i think a psychologist would refer to this as disassociation like it's it's a way for the brain to disassociate the humanity yeah yeah that's in and of itself that's that's a Oof, that's a mind mapping on mm-hmm. another level. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting, right? And for me, the what what was more interesting is uh, just hearing the accounts of these of the narcos, right? And the way they um, they very easily can you know shoot someone in the head and continue on the day. Uh, what's going on there? It's, what's going on is that they have a they have developed this ability to objectify each other to the point that killing another person is not a big deal, right? Uh, cutting their heads is not a big deal. You know, it becomes kind of a part of a part of the culture. Mm. 
right? So one of the things that I claim in that book is that narco culture is essentially brutal um, because it, re- it needs to be that way. Uh, ultimately, it needs, to, it needs to be that way because it's part of the whole North American neoliberal economic system, right? They need to compete. They need to bring the product in. They need to do these things in an efficient and, and productive way. So it's, it's, a complex, uh, it's a complex idea uh, that I wanted to write about simply to show that um, there's stuff going on down there that we got to pay attention to and, and be cognizant of. Uh, and, and I start off the book uh, with a quote. Well, actually, it's not even a quote. It's a, it's a headline from the Washington Post that was, uh, came out a few years back, but it said uh, that uh, narco culture represented a catastrophe of, um, no, I'm sorry, a crisis of civilization, they said. Right? It, it poses a crisis of civilization, and that's a strong statement. Right? Very strong. Uh, because then, then, then we have to talk about, okay, uh, just down the border, right? Uh, just across San Isidro, you have a crisis of civilization, and we're not even thinking about it. So I decided to write a book about that, and and that's what that book is about. And that's what that became. Yeah. And and yeah, well, yeah, civilization. It's that's an inter- interesting word. Uh, you, as a philosopher, probably has you probably have more of a uh, definitive uh, explanation for that word. But it, it, you know, it seems like the opposite, at least in in the thinking of the American. It's whenever I say American, I have to say United States because America is big. The Americas, people. Yeah. North America, South America, Central America. It's not just us. But somehow, when you say America, you automatically think United States, right? Um, <clears throat> so there is this. Um, the opposite of civilization, it would appear, is barbaric. Mm-hmm. So when me, mainstream media makes such a bold statement, I'm, I wonder, are they suggesting that it's the, uh, these people are barbarian? Barbaric, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, you know, that's interesting that you bring that up and the way that you brought it up, it hasn't been brought up to me in that way before. Oh, good, write um, about it. <laughs> no, but uh, it's, it's interesting, right? Because uh, when, when I say, okay, the narco culture is essentially brutal, Brutality belongs to barbarians, right? Brutality belongs to the non-civilized. Um, and so one of the things that I was very cognizant of and I had to address in the book is how I'm not talking about barbarians, right? Like this, this is a culture um, that is highly modern and highly civilized, right? Um, transporting a kilo of, of heroin from Sinaloa to L.A., it's a very complex, complicated, and highly technical thing, right? It, it not, not any dummy can do it. You have to be highly skilled um, and very intuitive. You have to have knowledge of all sorts of things. So it's not uh, that, that the business aspect of it is, is a highly evolved thing. Uh, the, the, the violence of the culture, uh, what I say in the book, is a result of the necessary competition that's required for that business to succeed. Um, yeah. You know, so it's, so it's, so I, I try to make it, make it so that I'm not saying, you know, this is the business of barbarians because you need to be highly civilized in order to pull it off. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, the, the, the brutality aspect, the barbaric aspect, for lack of a better term, I think is very primal, right? Mm-hmm. It has to come. It's a, it's a need to survive. In right. essence, is what it is, and the highly evolved, sophisticated portion is the civilized portion of the program. Absolutely. Yeah, and and how did we go from Sosobra to we're having this deep? <laughs> <laughs> and that's the beauty of what the fuckery. I feel like we can have a separate conversation all about that only. I wanted to just share that one of the things that has helped me, one of the many things that have helped me uh, understand when we talk about cultures is that within cultures, there are subcultures. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm finding out and having a lot of conversation with various people through this podcast. What the fuckery is I'm, I'm interested in non-normative topics. Right. And in that process, I'm finding a bunch of tiny little communities that are little cultures within themselves. So they are subcultures. So when you're the narco, it sounds like is a subculture. It is not the Mexican culture. Yeah, well, uh, actually, I had to make a move, an intellectual move in my book, where I tried to dismiss that idea, right? Like, I, uh, I want to say that this is not a subculture, right? As a matter of fact, uh, one of the things that I argue in the, in the first chapter of this book is um, to say that it is a subculture is to assume that there is one monolithic culture in Mexico, and that's not the case. Uh, a, 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 a writer in the 1950s and 60s used to say that um, there's a thousand Mexicos, right? And, uh, and it's true. And if you go to in a country like Mexico, and it, it's the same case here, but in a country like Mexico is more pronounced, right? Because you have many different cultures existing together, uh, different dialects of Spanish, right? Different populations. They are, you have the indigenous folks, you have the Afro-Indigenous folks, you have the Mestizos, you have um, the Span- more Spanish, you know, being peoples. Uh, people from Sinaloa are, are going to have different cultural um, Proclivity. uh, behaviors, proclivities than people in Michoacan and so on and so forth. So uh, there is not one monolithic uh, homogeneous culture that is Mexico. Right. Uh, there's many Mexicos. And so one of the things that I argue is that narco culture is just one of these cultures that exists, one of these Mexicos, you know? So, so do you disagree with the idea of a subculture, of a culture within a culture? I do. You I do. do. See, see, simply because I, I don't want to ever, I don't, I actually don't even want to say that about, about the American culture, right? Uh, because uh, I don't want to assume that there is a monolithic, homogeneous uh, hege- hegemony uh, that culturalizes us all, right? There's difference and within difference and difference, right? I'm, I'm glad you, you, you said that and that is your, you're, standing, you're standing firm with your thesis and your arguments only because as you're saying that, the idea of a monolithic culture, it seems to me that there is a portion of our population with this election, with this particular mm-hmm. man in per power, who they are fighting hard to have this so-called monolithic culture, which let's face it, hey, it never existed. Mm-mm. It was never, never real. It was never real. It was no. impossible. You found the indigenous people here to begin with. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you have now changed my mind. I shall no longer refer to things as subcultures. Although I do like the idea. Of 
yeah no it's 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 a, it's a good concept right because then uh it gives you identity right as a subculture but at the same time i think that it minimizes the culture right i like the idea of just having cultures cultures next to each other you know and we belong to like i belong to a different different cultures i, I like to say you know i like to i navigate through different cultures academia do you think of academia as a yeah, culture yeah absolutely absolutely academia you know my when i go see my parents that's a totally different thing you know and thanksgiving i'm going to go down there and i'm going to have to take off this hat and put this other one and navigate that right and this is a different culture you know and and so it's i like to i like to think of myself as someone who's navigating these you know and feel you proud are, about it yeah i you know what i'm proud of you too <laughs> <laughs> and i have to say um and this is probably the, what's going to wrap us up a little bit. I I have to know what do you do for fun? Write books? I I enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. I enjoy that. I, I enjoy you sit around and write books. I try to, you know, because it's it wow. relaxes me. One one of the things that I that I that one of my goals in life really is to make Mexican philosophy accessible to people here in the United States especially the students like myself right and so i spend a lot of time translating i do a lot of translation and so i was telling somebody the other day that it really relaxes me cuz like you know nobody sits around and translates but i do i it relaxes me so i, I that's you know that's that's what i do for fun i like to take care of my of my garden and my lawn <laughs> you know just well, really you're a lot of fun professor <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to let you get back to your writing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> now, this really was was a joy and I so appreciate. You know, it's it's going to be I'd love to have you back again mostly because you're you know so much and there may be a topic that comes up and you might be the right person to help us out with it. But what I am uh interested in is where this how far is social bra is gonna go mm -hmm. you know i wonder if the medical community at one point will embrace it and, and yeah. have a name for it and hopefully it's transient it mm. it, it goes away yeah well cool. i mean at the, i don't i don't know if it'll go away but we we may be lucky enough to forget it <laughs> yeah or at least i hope to live long enough to forget yeah <laughs> forget this 2020 although it's actually right. turning out to be a pretty good year it's, it's uh, certainly eventful you know so someone commented on our article on this in the conversation uh they said uh the comment was isn't it interesting that it's spelled sosobra z-o-z-o um b-r-a and isn't it interesting that it's 2020 like two zero two zero pra right wow yeah yeah it visually could be 2020 yeah 2020 Although, what's bra the bra about what's with the bra <laughs> i don't know <laughs> it's the year of the ladies <laughs> who knew right right yeah well my ship is coming in that's for sure because <laughs> it's my year i'm getting my own ship <laughs> dr carlos sanchez Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. It was fun. Yeah, we'll talk soon. Okay. Bye. Oh, hang bye -bye. on. No, 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 not yet. Oh. Not yet. Hey. 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 There is something I do with every guest, and I almost forgot to do with you. How do you say goodbye to your students?
please tell me you have a cool way that you say goodbye. Ah, uh, I don't have a cool. I mean, I, it's it's usually uh, uh, and, and during Zoom, it's 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 something like uh, all right, get 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 off. <laughs> all right, get off. <laughs> all right, get off. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> yeah, get out of here. <laughs> well, when you were live in class, what would you do? Uh, I would just say, all right, guys, I have nothing else to say. <laughs> and then, yeah, get out of here. I have nothing well, else to say. The reason I ask is because you get to tell my listeners goodbye the way you do. So tell my listeners to get off. Get off. All right, get off, guys. I have nothing else to say. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't get off. Okay, maybe not, not quite by yet. If you know someone who might enjoy this topic or this episode, why don't you just forward it to them right now? Share, help us grow our community. And uh, check out the Instagram, follow us on Instagram at WhatTheFockery to see what our guests look like. I'm sure you're pretty interested sometimes. And um, the videos and the stories and previews and clips. We are growing, we are growing, and I have you to thank for that. Now, officially, till we meet again, next episode, same place, same station? No, not a station. Okay, see you next time. Bye.